Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Shit, a podcast about buggy. The idea for this podcast came about like so many other great ideas in the history of Carnegie Mellon University. It was late one night at William Penn Tavern, and a group of us were sitting around talking about buggy and how many great characters and stories there were in the sport. And wouldn't it be great if we could record those stories and put them out and share them with the community? Well, this is an attempt to do just that. My name is Will Weiner, and I'm going to be your host. I've had the privilege of interviewing some of the biggest movers, shakers, and behind-the-scenes characters who have shaped Buggy into what it is today. So I ask that you sit back, relax, and enjoy as we shoot the shit. We have three really exciting, unique perspectives on this week's episode. I sat down with three of the past Buggy advisors as I wanted to get an idea what it's like approaching this ridiculous, dangerous, exciting, unique sport from the perspective of an administrator and an educator, and frankly, people who you may not realize but have seen every buggy race as a part of their job and they definitely delivered with some fascinating stories about the behind the scenes work they have to do the relationships they have to build whether that's with upper university administration the city our neighbors and of course the trials tribulations and rewards of dealing with us buggy obsessed maniacs uh so sit back and here we go hey good evening thank you all so much for joining uh Nice to talk to you again, Anna. And Casey, Roshan, nice to meet you. Really excited and interested to hear some of the stories you all have to share about your time uh, uh, advising and, and working with Buggy. But if we'd like to kick things off tonight, could you each introduce yourselves for the listeners, uh, let them know your role and kind of experience with Buggy and the university? Um, Ann Wichner, currently Associate Dean of Student Affairs and from Buggy 78 through, I'm not going to know the year exactly because... I did buggy off and on for like 22 times, and then it got turned over. I'm Casey Palco. I'm a senior coordinator in the Office of Student Leadership Involvement and Civic Engagement. And Anne is correct. I shadowed her in 2007 and then started advising on my own in 2008. My name is Roshan Lang. I had previously been at the university from 2001 to 2011. Um, which is the period where I advised Buggy. I started with the 2002 races, and I left and recently returned. I'm now working in the Center for Student Diversity and Inclusion as a special projects manager. Well, thank you all so much for joining. First thing I'm kind of interested in is you come to the university, you're interested in student affairs, student activities for a number of reasons. You hear about and you see this thing called Buggy, which is pretty, pretty unordinary. Uh, curious what, you, if you can remember your first sort of exposure to the sport is, what your reaction uh, was to it. I remember interviewing in April, late April, 2006. Like that's just one of the things that people talk about is booth and buggy during your interview process. And at the time I wasn't slated to take that on, but definitely that is something that the university talks a lot about um, when you step foot on campus. And it was conversations in the fall of 2006, wanting sweepstakes to be advised out of the student activities office, which made sense because Booth was currently being advised out of the office at the time. And I remember kind of showing up at a practice and thinking, oh my Lord, (laughs) and really just being completely blown out of the water about the fact that our students were 
building these buggies, we're driving these buggies, we're working with the police. I mean, it was just this, like, I don't know, I don't want to say well-oiled machine, because it wasn't, but um, it was just this flow of activity, and people were just, like, in love with it. You, you quickly learn that the students eat, drink, breathe, buggy, and they're so dedicated and passionate about it. I agree entirely. I was, uh, when I came on, I was new to the university. And so I came on into the dean's office and Jennifer Church at the time was my supervisor and she had handed sweepstakes off to me. And so our first meeting about Buggy was like, you're the advisor to this thing you've never seen. Um, you will be working with it like for an entire year before you actually see sort of race day. Um, and I just remember thinking this is insane. Like you need to get hay bales. You need to get barricades, you have to call the city and get permits, you have to call these volunteers who are going to jump out of the back of trucks and videotape all of this. And you're, you know, you're taking notes and reading things thinking like, what is this thing? And so it was just, it was very interesting advising the sport and working with students that you had not sort of seen the end product, but working toward it. Mm. So I came to CMU and I happened to be an alum, so I knew what buggy was, but it wasn't something that I really, you know, did as well, women weren't doing it back when I was a student. But, you know, I sort of had a, an advantage and a disadvantage when I came. So when I came, it was like September, whatever, 77, and, and the whole student activities was under my office and it was buggy and carnival and AB and it kind of was fun because it was like this huge umbrella and it kind of all worked together. But I knew buggy was going to be like something I know nothing about. So I have to be honest, like I, I one of the one of the early things I did, I literally went to the lawyer's office at Carnegie Mellon. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to understand about liability. And it wasn't because, <laughs> oh God, I'm, I, I did. I really did. I, I can remember his name to this day. And it was just something because my predecessor was gone who was there when I was a student. And I was so young. I mean, I wasn't much older than the students. And so I, I wanted to really understand this thing. But I, I really wanted to understand it from a like systematic organizational operational thing because, because, and um, I, I did. So I, there wasn't a lot I could do because the, the student chair, he didn't know me. And you know, a lot of students when they, they like have a turnover in a staff, like who is this person? So I was a little bit quiet and I just listened a lot. And um watched that year 78 um and and you know took vigorous notes like okay here's what i think would make sense not from anything from a mechanical you know mechanic point of view but just from like how how i could help these kids operationally improve this thing that did need improvement and i knew it was dangerous and and it wasn't as fast as it is today but so i i knew what buggy was um but you know i i knew it was going to be a challenge which, which it was carnival was under me but that was easy um, AB was underway. That was easy, but buggy was tough. And the lawyer assured me, oh, the, the lawyer said, it's like football. It's like, you're like the football coach. If something happens, you don't need to worry. And that sort of allayed my fears, but I just wanted to understand because we didn't have waivers back then. I mean, it was just the tail wagging the dog. That's how for a couple of years I, I felt about buggy. And there wasn't anyone to support me in terms of I'd go to faculty in mechanical engineering and they said, no, 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 we'll be design judges, but that's it. And Casey knows that story, right? Casey, you know, they'll do whatever you want for design on that Thursday of Carnival, but they're not gonna come help me with safety and work with the students and do seminars. You all mentioned, right? You come in and you immediately see this passion and this excitement in the same way, right? Perhaps sometimes to their detriment, CMU students like to kind of push the limit, 
on some of these things. So, you know, what is that challenge like in terms of just supporting students doing this kind of insane, dangerous activity while at the same time kind of like trying to push it and help it grow? It's a really good question. I feel like it's definitely challenging. I think in my time, you know, we've had two significant driver accidents and we've had a team that was disqualified for a fire safety issue on race day. And so they weren't able to compete. And I feel like those are the stories that I unfortunately lean on when I say these things can happen. Working with the students to make sure that they realize that, you know, it's important to develop a culture of safety within your teams that yes, competition is important, but if you can't get there safely, then there's no point. I think making sure to advocate for the driver's voice. If the drivers don't feel safe, that they have someone that they can come to, whether it's someone on sweepstakes or myself as the advisor, that like if you don't have a driver, you can't have buggy. And so, you know, making sure that the drivers feel like they have a, a voice is really important. And then I've been really lucky in my time to develop a close relationship with environmental health and safety. And it hasn't been this like critical thing. It's been more of a partnership of how they can support buggy to continue and be safer, making sure that, you know, we're looking at prep areas, you know, connecting them to TechSpark if they don't have the tools and resources in their own shop. I think it's been just really important to make sure that there's open lines of communication. And then again, like unfortunately rely on some of those times where you can showcase that when things happen poorly, um, you know, what can happen. I agree. I mean, I think, you know, the interesting thing is having to, having come in sort of cold to all of this, really having to trust the sweepstakes committee, um, that their responsibility is looking at the sport as a whole and not from an organizational perspective. Um, and that they're making good choices and understand sort of how to make those good choices and how we as advisors support them and can sort of give the university's perspective or at least sort of a broader perspective rather than necessarily a single focus from organization standpoint. So I think, you know, I had to rely really heavily on the input and the safety perspective of the students that had been selected to be on that committee to guide me to, to help understand sort of what were the struggles they were facing? What are the individual struggles sort of as an organization as a whole? What do we need to be doing better? I would have to echo on that. Like, I think in a way you're re-educating the group of students each year that come on to sweepstakes. They're coming from their teams, which is very narrow focused. They know how to run their team. They understand practices and race days from their team perspective. But being a part of sweepstakes, there's a whole nother world. I mean, they're representing the university with our neighbors, Fitz Conservatory, Park Mansions, the city of Pittsburgh, the Shenley Park staff. I mean, there's just so much more that goes into putting together practices, running practices, putting together race day that from a team's perspective, they have no understanding. And I would say for me, because, you know, I came in at a time where we know things needed to change and there weren't any really horrible accidents. We'll talk later about the accident in 86 that made me really put my foot down and say, you know, I'm going to do something about this. What I did that I think was helpful, I could look at things and make suggestions to students. I mean, I made a list of some of the things that we do now that we didn't used to do. And these are like where I thought I could be helpful because I really was like 
passionate about it, but it was also what Casey was saying, please, and Roshan, under my watch, please don't get hurt, please make this work, you know, and so I looked at, okay, what can I do to help? So, like, things that happened after 78, you know, I'd check on things, and I realized I know nothing. I don't know anything about safety, and again, this was before we put the real safety rules in, but there were a lot more buggies between 78 and 86 than there are now, so that meant, you know, there were five minutes between heats on race day. And I mean, the finals, even when we had like 15 organizations and 31 buggies, because they all had A, B, some had A, B, C teams, you know, they had the top buggies go in two heats of three for the finals. And it's like, I met with them, said, hey, this thing is great, but why don't you do three heats of two? And it was sort of like, a light went off in their head, like they hadn't thought of that. And I think as good advisors, you want the students to have like, it be their program. But you know, a a good advisor lets students sort of do most of what they need to do. And maybe there's 5% where I I think a good advisor who's behind the students, it proves to them that, hey, I I think I really understand this. Why don't you think about this? And so I didn't push things down their throats up up until we changed the rules, but I had a lot of support for that. Because there were so many buggies, I said, hey, why don't you have top 10 buggies? I mean, and so this came from, you know, me being this sort of, you know, a person who understood sports, but I said, hey, why don't you have top 10 buggies and have five heats of two and it'll be a little bit more interesting and then one thing honestly i mean people don't believe this what they used to do on up in trunk weekend up until a couple years ago was like you know go stand in line for the final weekend to be the first one to get the first roll well when i took over buggy they did that for every free roll i mean literally and they would send their pledges out he'd be on friday at six o'clock whatever 10 o'clock at night out there catching pneumonia and they were just lined up to be the first and I said you know guys this is kind of goofy like think about what you're asking people to do and it was like sort of a rite of passage and they got rid of that and once they got rid of it it was like oh we never did that the other thing I did when I came out I don't know which it was they only had free rolls on either Saturday or Sunday and I I just said let's get permits for Saturday and Sunday so it was like I added the additional day and said you know and I thought how are these people getting practices this was again the rules were maybe 11 pages long and I wasn't paying attention to the rules. I was paying attention to like, how can I help this thing just go smooth, a little more smoothly, et cetera, and mitigate some issues because having three fast buggies in one heat is pretty dangerous. And you can't even imagine something like that now, you know, for the final. So those are things, you know, I could look at and say, hmm, why don't you think about this? And, and again, after you gain respect of the executive committee and then the, of the people who are the next year know who you are, I think you're able to sort of get buy-in. Um, and, and then when it becomes sort of the way we do things, they never remember, oh, we, we never did that. We, we, we used to have, you know, p- dropping push bars. How could we have, drop, you know, dropping push bars? I'm not going to tell them how to design their buggy, but, you know, I couldn't do that. But I could help them, you know, with, with sort of want, with their final product. Why don't you do this to make it a little bit more safe and interesting? And then they bought that. Yeah, I think you definitely have to build rapport with sweepstakes committee with the teams and you just have to continue that as Anne said to build that relationship that you can be a person that is resourceful again like I couldn't build a buggy but I can definitely tell you you know how to mitigate risk and you know what to think about regarding you know working with the city and and how to troubleshoot the things that come up I think that any clever organization that really falters if it's a big one or, you know, maybe a little one doesn't need that much guidance, I'm never going to blame the students. And, you know, whether it's orientation or spring carnival or, you know, lunar gala, I mean, behind every major student organization, you need someone in the university who has their back. Otherwise, they're going to flounder because you have to have someone who is knowledgeable and invested 
in, in making sure this event happens, but also looking out for, you know, the greater good. And, and yeah, well, I mean, we're lucky. I always wondered why the university, like, you know, said we can't do this anymore. I mean, we're, it's a very dangerous sport. I mean, about that very, every day, Anne. <laughs> I say that all the time. I, one of my years, there was a, someone in the university who had contacted me about sort of looking at the risk of buggy. And I remember thinking in my head, like, oh, you probably don't want to do that. I mean, it's clearly like the risk is just spilling out of buggy. Um, yep. But the flip is knowing like it's never going to get shut down. And so how do we as representatives from the university make this something that the university will continue to support, understanding sort of the risk that comes with it and knowing how, how to work with the student groups and explaining what that risk is and explaining sort of how we all need to work together to allow this to continue you know, for a hundred more years. I remember when I was in student activities, when I was in student activities, Buggy was, well, it was when Buggy was under me and RPI called me, Rensselaer Poly Institute or RPI. And they said, um, you know, can you tell me about Buggy? That seems so interesting. And I said, well, do you, do you own the streets that you want to do it on? No. Do you have like faculty, staff advisors? No. And I said, then you don't want to do it. Then you can't do it. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like putting on a concert without an advisor helping you like understand how you sign the contract, what you can do contractually. I mean, you just, this is so dangerous. And I, I mean, there's no one else in the country, like Indiana University used to do this. I don't know if they still do like an Indy 500, like around a racetrack. It's like go-karts. Um, but, you know, there isn't anything comparable to this. I mean, there's lots of spring carnivals all over the country with rides and booths and all that. But nothing like, there just isn't, nothing like buggy. I, I do think actually talking about safety and kind of that delicate balance with the university um, it provides kind of a good segue. And I guess if you want to talk a little bit about 86 and the accident and rewriting the rules and kind of the tightrope walk you had to do to keep Buggy up. So in 86, you know, Buggy was just like it always was. Um, you know, lots of organizations in it. The bottom of the hill was like, oh my God, you know, a hotbed of passion and activity. Spirit was really competitive. And I mean, there were so many organizations that were competitive back then. Some of the alums started getting in touch with me, Tom Wood, who I never knew, but, you know, he knew of me. And I think he was, you know, his hair was standing on end about things going on. I never cared who won or who lost. I could have cared less. I just wanted it to be safe and the last person over the finish line in the last race and then it was over and maybe there weren't re-rolls and nobody got hurt. That's all I cared about. I didn't care about, you know, breaking records or anything like that. So, you know, we had good chair people that year. I'm looking at their picture in the buggy book. I mean, the race has happened. I mean, the whole race has happened. And I don't remember between when this happened. At the bottom of the hill, you know, there were tons of trucks, more trucks than there are now because there were more buggy organizations. And so there was this flash fire in ATO fraternity. And ATO in the 60s used to be really, really good. And that's sort of a bad thing for organizations who have a history of being good because they really want to like be good again or win again. And then they'll, they'll just pull out all the stops. So ATO in their truck had like a flash fire because they were mixing hexane, you know, like, like I understand what hexane is, but to heat the wheels. Okay. And so there was this flash fire. And so they got the bug and it were, were, was no explosion, nothing like that. And the races continued the rest of the day. But anyway, so they got the buggy out and the girl was in it and, and, he, and things were reasonably fine. And the, the boys from ATO had, had to go to the hospital and had burn on their hands. Um, and there was always like a joke that they wouldn't tell the doctor, you know, what, what they were mixing 
what chemicals they were using, like, because the doctors were going to come back and tell beta, you know, or something like that. I mean, that was like a, a standing joke. But what that did for me, and it didn't stop the races, and it's not like campus police came. I mean, there probably was campus police. It wasn't like a bad accident that anybody got terribly hurt. But what happened for me was I just said, I'm done. The dog's wagging, the, you know, how do I say it? The tail's wagging the dog. And, and no one in the university made me do it. I got Tom Wood and all these alums, and we just came out and made it very clear we're just going to change it. I think my boss at the time, he was fine with it, you know, so there, I, there was buy-in from the top. Students were not happy. It was because of that fire in the truck, because when I watched it get sort of solved down there, there was like two organizations that had fire extinguishers, and I was pissed at myself. I thought, how could I be in charge of something like a booth, and there had to be fire extinguishers at every booth? I was so mad at myself, but then I thought, I, I just, this is too much for one person <laughs> to figure out. So that was just how it was, that the rules got changed, and there were really mad people. Uh, people were mad. I mean, they were really mad because people had to ditch their buggies because of the new rules. You know, there were buggies that a woman could not get into them with a helmet on her head. There weren't harnesses. So like Sigma Nu probably had the best buggies around. Mark Estes will tell you that. And they had to rebuild all the buggies. So the 87 was a great year. I was I mean, looking at the booklet and I'm laughing because let me just read what the student wrote. So the chairman, who is wonderful, says, um, this year I decided to enroll in a two-semester course called Buggy. Uh, it offers no credit, blah, 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 blah. Oh, here it was. The job description to be the Buggy chair was lengthened. We would have you know, job descriptions so people knew what they were doing. Was was um was lengthened because of the new safety rules that were implemented. And along with the rest of the Sweep 6 committee, I was required to enforce many new buggy rules and regulations requiring traffic blinkers at push practice. That was one of the, I don't know if you still do that. No two-wheel buggies, you know, fire trucks had to have, you know, were inspected by the fire marshal, all that good stuff the KC still upholds. So it was really hard on Sean stuff, but it was hard. I mean, it was hard because kids didn't want to be told what to do. So they were dropping push bars. We got rid of those. No two-wheel buggies. Oh, he wrote, he wrote a big thing, braking. In addition to the normal cape test, there will also be a reverse brake test in which the buggy will be pulled backwards while its brakes are on. This is to ensure braking control of the buggy during spin-out. In response to the chemical fire, all trucks must have certain openings and no flammable chemicals. And he, what else did he say? Windscreens, yeah. Roll cage, the shell of a buggy must be able to withstand a force of 500 pounds from, from the top of the side. And then driver protection, I mean, if you can imagine. And I tried to do all kinds of things, like I brought in tire companies to talk to the students, and a lot of tire companies donated tires to organizations, and the kids didn't use them because they wanted their special tires. But like we tried to have so many workshops, I mean, that year, and then for the next couple of years. And, you know, once, people got over whatever they thought was sort of like impeding, you know, their, what they were trying to do, you know, it became the norm. So, and then, you know, things British Sean did along the way and Jennifer did and Casey becomes the new norm. If, if, you know, it gets put in place, you know, for good reason, but yeah, people were mad. It took a long time. There were people who don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> That's okay. They're just mad. There were ugly parts to it. I mean, Rashawn, it was even ugly when you did it. Like, oh, yes. you know, there was still like such passion. Like I'd be, I mean, I changed the award ceremonies. That's another thing I did. They were, it used to be at nine o'clock on Saturday and the behavior of the crowd was horrible towards the um, buggy people and the carnival people. I made it like six. Now it's four, right, Casey? Yep. Is it four? <laughs> 
then I kind of got brave about things I was going to do. Like I said, we're not, the last year it was at nine o'clock. It was embarrassing. I don't want to tell you what people said. I couldn't use that language. And, and the chairman sometimes, oh, they were horrible. And they'd get up there and be swearing at Tom and Lou because they blamed them why they weren't winning. And, you know, they didn't ever talk about me per se, but you know, it was ugly. And I, and the people were too drunk, the crowd, not, not the chairman, the sweepstakes chairs. It was just people who got third place were pissed, you know, if they didn't win design, they were pissed. Oh, I know another thing we did, and I, I used to get so upset. They put so much effort into design, you know, where you showed your buggies. And so it used to be that people who wanted to show their buggies were the only ones that went to design. And so like there'd be, you know, eight organizations out of, you know, 16 organizations there because Pike is never going to let people in their buggies or they don't let people in. Right, Casey? Correct. And I said, I want in the rules that everybody has to come to design because we have a, a design chair and whoever that is puts a lot of energy into making design competition a nice event. And we're not going to do it and only have six people show up. So everybody has to show up to this day. Right, Casey? Yes. It just made me crazy. Yeah, people were fine. They just show up. And that's like Roshan was saying, people get so focused on the internal thing going on. It's like, you know, alumni come back. We have faculty who come over. You know, if they walk over and there's six buggies there, like what's there to see? And I just think it's camaraderie. So, you know, sometimes our students get so focused, you know, on, on looking in and not looking out. But in terms of like, you know, safe building a buggy, I, I kind of got more neurotic after the safety rules were in place because then I realized all the things they weren't doing. And then how do we prove that they're doing them? Because we're just allowing a student who's a safety chair to do it. And, you know, some years there were students who were the safety chair that I, I just don't know if I, I don't know if they were capable of doing it. And I just had to hope that if they weren't strong enough, the overall buggy chair was strong enough. So, you know, I was always nervous about the competency of these people to execute what they had to do. And and I thought, you know, if you're a safety chair and there's an accident under your, you know, the year you're the chairperson, you have to live with that. So I always operated from that thing. I didn't want anything to ever happen. Students might not think about those things, but you don't want to sit and think, boy, if I had done this differently, that might not have happened. And I think that's our job as advisors to mitigate everything we can, even though you can't control everything. I agree. And I think, I mean, you know, Ann, you're talking about the, you know, the committee having to enforce policy. It puts students in a really, it can put students in a really difficult position of having to feel like they're siding with the university over a team or their team. And it, it just, it does, it works so much better. You feel so much safer when you've got a strong committee or a committee that's able to sort of walk that line between being able to understand what the organizations are saying and wanting and also sort of understanding the sport as a whole and not just from whatever that interest is sort of singularly. Yeah. I mean, I think you're asking a lot for a 20, 21 year old male or female. I mean, I, I can think of so many examples where students came to me that were, you know, competitive buggies after a decision was made. And I sort of like listened and I, I never overruled. I mean, it wasn't my job but I understood it. And I mean, here's a good example. I won't say what organization. And it was a really strong overall chair, strong, strong, strong. And he was very aligned to one fraternity, um, but he was also aligned to an independent organization that was, they were both competitive. And the independent organization, you know, didn't have 10 rolls with a new buggy. You have to have 10 rolls with the same driver, Casey, going down yeah. 10 times. Okay. This particular organization you know, you could argue, oh, the weather was bad, which is why, like, there's a lot of Saturdays and Sundays that it doesn't rain. I mean, but you just get out there and, and you can get your 10 in. And if you build a buggy that comes out like three weeks before carnival, shame on you. If you can't get your 10 in, you shouldn't roll. I mean, really. So 
the overall chair made a decision about this new buggy with this very competitive organization. And his rationale was the driver didn't have to go down 10 times. Five was enough or whatever the number was. It was even because all their buggies had the same steering mechanism. And, you know, it made a lot of sense, I guess. You know, how do you argue that? I never got in a position, you have to do this. But I don't know. Were you, Casey? Did you ever tell them, no, you can't do this after they made some crazy decision that you didn't agree with, that you found out about? That sweepstakes made? Yeah. Mm, nothing's yeah. coming to mind. I mean, I've definitely had to back them up. Or if they feel like the team isn't listening to them, then I have had meetings with teams to deliver them whatever message yep. is supposed to be to be given. But I mean, it is very physically, mentally, and emotionally draining for sweepstakes leading up to race day. And especially on race day when tough calls have to be made because you've been there on a team, worked your ass off all year round to lead you to race day to, by like an inch, lose the brake test and fail the brake test. Or there was a loss of mass or a pass didn't go the right way and you didn't get the re-roll. And it's just amazing. And they're advocating and they're in sweepstakes face about we want to re-roll or this isn't fair. And like the confidence that I have seen in sweepstakes over the years and the amount of, you know, no, I don't want to say unsportsmanlike because you know where they're coming from, but like it is tough on sweepstakes. And so I definitely have had to have conversations with individuals and with teams to back up sweepstakes or to be the bad guy. I've told sweepstakes a number of times over the years, if you want me to be the bad guy, I will be the bad guy. I agree a thousand percent. I, you know, I remember one, and you were talking about the number of weekends and one of my race years, which I can't remember what it was. We sincerely had three total days in the spring semester that we could roll with weather and bricks. So there were literally three total days in the spring. And so like you said, Ian, some organizations wait a really long time to bring out new buggies or new drivers and get them caped and ready for race day. And so, you know, we had a committee that had to make some really horrible decisions about the safety of drivers. And, you know, I've got an organization saying like, these people are graduating, they're never going to have a chance to roll again. This is their last year rolling. You know, they're in a position of having to think about sort of everyone's safety on that course, not just this one last shot for this driver or this buggy or this um, mechanic. And so I think what Casey said, having to be in the position of supporting them in those tough decisions, and sometimes that's it. They just, they just need to know like, yes, you're making the right decision and I will back you or being the bad guy in sort of taking in delivering that news or sort of saying like, this is what the rules say. And this is what we need to uphold across the board for everybody. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I've sat in on tape review after Friday and Saturday race days. So I can be with sweepstakes and watch a video in slow motion about 50 times rewinding back yep. and forth to just yep. make sure that they they are making the right call. I don't know in the heat of the moment if teams truly understand just how seriously sweepstakes takes their job and they really are they are dropping the teams that mm -hmm. they've come with to look at these videos and try to make the best decision that they can based upon the information that they have. 
And yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I sat through so many of those and I'd have an opinion and I wouldn't like want to say, Oh, well they should, they shouldn't. I might offer an opinion like this is what I'm seeing, but like, and the other thing, Will, when we had this incident with um, the one that got disqualified, who's a competitive team because they had the heater too close. And I mean, the rules were pretty clear. Alumni came to me and I was like just helping Casey. I was done by then. Alumni went ballistic. So you even have that, that part of these people who just carry this passion with them, you know, post their graduation that were buggy crazy. The other thing that I always knew, and I mean, they'll be easier on organizations that aren't competitive. You know what I mean? It's sort of like they get cut a little bit of a break, but like you have to really be careful, you know, watching your, your overall chairs, you know, make sure they're being very, you know, kind of ethical about like the competitive organizations and not that that's why you give them a break, but like, there's a lot of bias. A lot of people would like to see an SDC, PICA, who's ever winning spirit off their perch. And so you have to sort of be protective of them because of bias and how decisions get made. Um, and the other thing, this is sort of along that line, I'll never forget, never forget, there was like a graduate woman that was pushing, and I think they were pushing CIA or something. And organizations came to me and they went crazy because they showed me the rules and we changed them immediately. It was always interpreted that only undergrads did buggy because why would a grad student have time? And there weren't that many grad students around, but she was a graduate student, but she was making the team competitive. And so they were looking through all these loopholes, all the other teams to make sure this team, I think it was CIA, got eliminated. It's now any activity fee paying students. So you could be a part-time senior, but grad students can be in it, but it can be like so fine, you know, that people will interpret the rules to their benefit when when they feel some team that's becoming really competitive is going to get in the way of maybe winning. And I, I, I've always was conscious of that. I don't know if you sense that, Casey, but that was definitely in the 80s and 90s um, that was going on when there were so many competitive teams. Sort of within that spirit of competition there, right, and managing the different teams and kind of their concerns that come up to you. It sounds like that has been something pretty consistent, but it also makes me think just of how in doing these interviews, you know, buggy culture and some of the intensity has changed maybe over the years, um, just in terms of, you know, it, it was a little more wild west there for a while, but I don't know if even in your experience, it's, it seemed like culturally uh, kind of the way teams are lodging complaints or kind of the inner team rivalries or hostility towards administration or other teams has kind of shifted. Is that something that seems to have evolved or, or kind of been consistent? I mean, I, I think it is evolved. I think the organizations know that like, you know, this is an event that comes out of student activities and even though it's student run, you know, it, there's a framework for it happening. I mean, so honestly, from 50s, 60s, and 70s, I mean, there weren't advisors. I mean, there just weren't. And they weren't going that fast. And, and, and it was just different. But I mean, in the mid 80s, I mean, I can remember I got a call from Dick Sired, who was a president of the Darn University, who put Carnegie Mellon on the map. And the the Theta Xi kids like had access to his office. And Dick Sart called me because we outlawed two wheel buggies. And he just, I mean, Dick Sart was brilliant. You know, he was like a businessman, economist, you know. And he, he just said, Ann, you have no business curtailing people's like, um, you know, their ability to, to do the kind of thing they're doing and designing these buggies. And I'm thinking, I didn't want to be rude to Dick Sart, but I tried to go through the safety things with him. And, he, you know, this was just not something he knew that much about. He just felt like I was curbing their 
you know, their enthusiasm and their ability to create something. And it was their damn two wheel buggy. How do you think I felt? You know, I'm this young woman who's getting called by the president and being accused of like, um, you know, stopping people's creativity and ability to create a great buggy. But I think we're past that. You know, if somebody went to the dean now, they would probably, you know, say, well, let me get a little bit more information about that. But, you know, students back in the day just felt like they were running the show and people and someone like me. And again, that changed after the I would say in the early 80s. They were going to they were going to do it themselves. Like, why not? So I think that that sort of mentality has sort of gone away. The atmosphere has changed tremendously um, just at race day at, on the course. I mean, when I was here, you know, a lot of the instruction given to me was like, you need to have police all over because there's going to be drunk people and we've got to get people up the course and sort of with the rivalries, there was just, there had the potential to be nastiness. And now like, it's just such a different atmosphere. I think, and I don't know if you feel that, but it's such a different atmosphere. Well, I went back and I was looking at, 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 I went back to, in 1965, there were 12 organizations and 20 buggies. In, where did I go, 78, when I came, there were 14 organizations and 31 buggies. And we'd have to have five minutes between heats. I mean, that went on for a while. And then I jumped to 98, there were 15 organizations. I couldn't tell how many heats, how many buggies there were. In 2005, there were 13 organizations. And then in 2009, 14 organizations. And you, how do you, many do you have now, Casey? That includes women too. 13 teams. Yeah, but see why there were like, you know, 14 teams and 31 buggies. They had A, B, and C. Like, you know, Beta might have had four buggies. And so it just, you know, translated to long, long, long days out there. But I think the more kind of that creates some of that competition. Um, I don't know if people resigned that SDC is going to win, win, win. But like when Spirit was really winning, boy, there was just Casey or Roshan, you were involved at that time. There was a lot of hostility on the course. Now it was like crazy. What? The, my years, the rivalries were fringe and pica. There was sort of a back and forth between. I was right at the tail end of Spirit and fringe and pica. First place men's and women's were going between those two organizations my years. I mean, I would definitely see see that even in the time that I've advised that today there's more camaraderie um, and there is more of a family vibe. I feel like amongst the chairman when I like attend meetings here and there, I definitely think obviously there's competition and a competitive nature and there's certain teams that want to beat out other teams, but I feel like there is more as I said, camaraderie between the teams. I feel like there is less, well, this team did that and this team did this. Yeah. And more respect. Yeah. yeah. It'd be interesting to hear their perspectives mm -hmm. and if that's what they've seen, but that's, I feel like. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't, they don't know like back in the day, you know, what, what went on. And again, you know, not, I mean, people stole things, you know, people, there were some horror stories. Yeah, here's an interesting thing. I, another thing that I changed back in the day. In 81, Carnival was totally, totally, totally rained out. It was the wild, wild west, and it was rained out. Ridiculous. Um, I can remember Mindy Jo Snyder was the Carnival chair, and it just rained out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever. It just rained, the whole thing. So from 82 on, we have permits for that for Sunday. Um, so that if Casey, if you go Friday and it rains Saturday, you're done. If you go... Don't go, don't, if you don't go 
Friday, but you go Saturday, you're done. And if it rains Friday and Saturday, you use Sunday. And we've used Sunday not that many times. It's not fun, but we've done it. I'm knocking on wood, Anne, because I have not had to deal with that. <laughs> but in 81, I ended up saying, okay, we're going to get permits. And so we got them, like, honestly, two weeks later. And we went on, like, at 2 o'clock Sunday in April. And CIA won, and it was, like, a big to-do. But, um, but you know, a lot of organizations weren't as fully people powered as they would have been during races, you know, during race day weekend. But I just felt so bad because like Casey and Roshan said, they worked so hard. And I just wanted to say, see if we can salvage this somehow. So we went like two weeks later, but at that, from that point on, I said, we're getting Sunday permits. I do think to talking about the shifting culture, it seems from doing these interviews and even talking to people, the kind of camaraderie and the, the respect or whatever has grown. And, you know, part of it, it seems to me might just be as a proportion of campus as buggy gets smaller kind of to those statistics you're giving there. And I think buggy people kind of all see they need to be together to keep buggy being a thing as opposed to it just exactly. being yep. the thing or even just hearing shenanigans from, you know, talking with the spirit guys or uh, interview with Bordick and Estes. Oh. Um, a lot of that does not seem like it would fly as much. Nowadays, you, you mentioned, Anne, you had something else to say about ATO or, or another story beyond the bicycle. I know, you know, like one year, one of the buggies sabotaged the buggy course because they weren't allowed to be in it. And, you know, nobody figured out who it was. We always thought who it was. But but I think what happens to these organizations, you know, I mean, it's just so expensive to do buggy. And I'm always amazed, like when new buggies came in, the generosity, like other organizations would donate a buggy. Spirit, I think they got started with a beta buggy. I mean, Bowie would know the answer to that. But it was like the generosity is because they do want more people to be in it. I mean, and I think now more than ever. I mean, I would think, Casey, from your point, you like it the way it is in a sense because it makes it a little bit more amenable, you know what I mean, in terms of like, I mean, it was hard when there were so many buggies because we had literally had to have five minutes before heats to get out of there by one o'clock. You know, not only just buggy push practices, and they're a nightmare. I mean, you know, and Casey and Roshan and I are the ones that get the complaints from people, from the, you know, the, the neighbors who hear terrible language when the windows are open, such nice weather. But push practices drove me up the wall. I don't know about you, Casey, but they made me crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's taken some time to build a rapport with park mansions. Um, They've, I think what's been unfortunate in the last couple of years is they've had, they've gone through a couple different managers. And so trying to have them understand buggy and why people are practicing between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m., you know, takes a little bit of time and understanding and making sure that the lines of communication is open. I'm like, you need to tell me that next day if it was too loud I mean I can't tell you the number of times where I get a call it's like the week before race day or the week of truck weekend and they're like we're done we're calling the city police like we cannot handle these practices and that's the first time that I'm hearing of a complaint and I can't be proactive with the teams to say we heard this one thing you need to be more quiet you know for them to improve you know, during the the practices. And so um, I think push practices have gone a lot better. Um, We had to work with the city last year. Um, Joyce, the sweepstakes chair, and I had to present to the special event committee on kind of what buggy is, how push practices are different than free roll practices, and why we didn't need to pay city officers to man barricades during push practice. I mean, I think that we estimated it would have cost over $8,000 
if we condensed push practice for, you know, only three weeks and we did it a less days during the week. Um, but we were able to, you know, work with the city. We had Lieutenant Myers from our CMU police advocate for us that we didn't need police and that the students were able to manage it. But I mean, these are the things that are happening kind of behind the scenes, you know, to support the students and make things happen. Yeah, I mean, what you want to do is the last thing you want to do is like, you know, the president's office to get a phone call. You know, I mean, again, we, we would be, you know, we would take the heat, but it's like, you know, you do everything you can. I mean, I'm glad like we do the push practices before spring carnival ever happens because, you know, we have enough of people complaining about Beeler Street and all the parties. And but I deal with bollards and hay. <laughs> bollards aren't tight enough or they've fallen out or they've disappeared or there's a hay bale on top of scape or there's a hay that's been pushed down the ravine or you left a barricade on the park side or I don't know. It's I feel like up enough. It's not yeah. clean. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's such a thing, you know, you think about the streets, like there have been dogs that have run on the course and we've had mm -hmm. to stop the race. I mean, just the weirdest thing. People, there was a parent, after you go up the hill one and you push off there, a parent was leaning over to take a picture of his kid and he had a camera. And of course, the T-bar, the buggy hit the father in the head, broke the camera. You know, oh. the father had to go to the, the, the father of whoever, and I think it was his son's race, of course. He was like filming his son's race. I don't know if his son's buggy hit him, but you know, the father had to go. And of course, you know, we're like mortified and his wife says, don't worry. And, you know, we got him out of there, blah, 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 you know, and everything's fine. Then six weeks later, you know, I get like a bill for the guy, you know, all his medical expenses that, you know, I had to pay for. But it's like you could get a sense of anything like a concert, you know, once it's done, it's done. But this thing is ongoing, ongoing. And it's like there's so much that goes into it that the average person doesn't know. It just doesn't know. Like when the hay gets set on fire. The number of like the hay disappears and you can't roll because you show up and the hay's gone or the number of people whose cars get towed and you get calls about it and they want you to reimburse them the towing costs or your students move a car and it gets damaged <laughs> like oh i know another thing that's always an issue and i would try and put my foot down we screwed around with exhibition heats on like saturdays and it would be like I would always say to the students, I said, you can do what you want, but if you lose time because you're messing around with these slow exhibition heats and it gets dark at 11, you're going to rush or the races may not get done and you're going to revert to Friday times. And that's like the worst. But the worst was, uh, I think it was the year after the rules, we let eight, we let Theta's eye, which we should never have done in the middle between the heats, do their, their, whatever, their, their two wheel thing that looked like a fish. Well, wreck. No one got hurt. No one got hurt. But we had to clean up the course and clean up the course. And it took a long time. So the last race of the day was between Beta and Spirit, who were the two fastest buggies from Friday. And they were rolling against each other. And like, it started to rain. And Bowie said, I ain't going. And and he had the right to say that. And he, he shouldn't have because it was going to pour. But we like wasted all this time with this two-wheel buggy that like collapsed but it was like all we needed was five minutes so Casey and Roshan can tell you like literally minutes make a big difference especially on the on the final day and you know when you're messing around with exhibition and then I know people who do exhibit want to do it want to do it but like and if you do it at the end no one hangs around I get that but the priority is to get the second day of races in and the finals so I always like struggled with that. I mean one of the things we we struggled with was sort of when they happened and if they happen on Saturday, sometimes it involved teams who were disqualified from Friday. So I wasn't always sure about motivation or people's good mental or physical state. 
in pushing a person in a buggy down a hill. You know what I mean? Like the, just the safety of the driver and the team and the buggy yep. and the potential of sort of what that does to the rest of the day and you, not wanting to be like, you know, the killjoy of putting your foot down and saying like, we're not doing this, but sort of looking at the entire picture and like you said, Ian, right? Like does something happen that it pushes race day back? Does something happen that somebody gets hurt? Do we lose a buggy because something happens on the course? So like there's just so much stuff that can happen with exhibition heats that impact the rest of race day. I think that's been something that it is absolutely amazing and a positive about, you know, the alumni mm -hmm. support and advice and the resources um, and the guidance that they have given me, especially over the years. But it's been hard to try to manage, especially the exhibitions like you're I am trying to advocate and get my current students the race day experience that everyone is fond of that they take away with them and they come back and talk about weather thinking about the weather if you have an accident how long potentially could that you know get cleared up and then you have exhibitions and then again love it pierogi race but there's so many things that we're trying to enhance race day and make it a bigger and better thing which again is great and there's a positive but there's this always this worry and anxiety about trying to get the actual races in I always yep, felt yep. at the end, and you had said this, like you did never know sort of who won or anything. I mean, I remember race day always felt completely different than every other practice for the entire rest of the year. It was like a, it was like its own event. Your role is very different. The chaos is completely different. Like everything is sort of different. And I never had any ideas if there were records broken, what times were, who was even in first place. Like you never, I never had that sense because you were just so worried about every heat. Like, here's a new heat. Did everybody make it around? Is everybody safe? Is everybody back to their truck? You know, like, it's just a really different, the focus is really different. While everybody else is sort of having fun and celebrating, there's this, I don't, this tremendous fear of sort of safety and everybody's safety and what could go wrong and how to mitigate all of that. And like Casey said, get everybody sort of the race day that they've worked so hard all year to have. I think, you know, when you hear the, Oh, <gasps> right. Go across the jumbotron and I hear there's an accident and I jump into the lead truck and, and Holly takes mm. me down. I am just saying multiple prayers to any God yep. Yep. <laughs> that is there that the driver is okay. I, mean, I will never forget last year where um, it was an SDC buggy that went into through the bales on kind of the, um gazebo flagstaff area and her mom was right there like i cannot imagine what she must have been thinking about i mean the she the driver was fine but like with sdc it takes a while for them to get out of the buggy and so there was just this long period of just waiting to find out you know that she was okay and those are the experiences that obviously i do not look forward to and very grateful when things turn out well and everybody I mean that's the difference right like there's this sense of people get excited for spins in the shoot or crashes or past tests or you know and I think sort of as the committee as the advisor you watch these things happen and think of all of the horrible things that could go wrong you know in a really different way sort of like Casey said that gas I mean I still like when I watch them having not been here if I'm sort of watching them online or whatever like you still have that pit in your stomach from your yeah advisor of like oh god please let that person be okay versus 
woo, like that was an exciting race, you know, it's a really different perspective. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, like I always felt like, you know, I felt privileged to be in charge of this. And then I felt like I was glad that I had an impact, but like, you know, hopefully, you know, this would continue. And I mean, there's still, it's still dangerous, but like the average person in our field, number one, anywhere in the country has no clue what, what we're doing. But even like on our own university, it's like people say, Oh boy, you're in charge of sleuth stick. I mean, if you only knew, like, it's like, if you only knew. And I think people think, boy, I'd like to do that. And I'm thinking, well, go on, do it. You know what I mean? I, it just, right. it takes a certain kind of person. <laughs> you're the key. Because you're right. the key. It's all yours. <laughs> No, you cannot be an advisor in name only. You have to be really invested and you can't, you have to be neurotic, but yes. not like so neurotic that you're going to, you know, make it crazy. But I, I, I mean, there are times I left and cried when it was over. I just had so much emotion. I just wanted it to go well. And, you know, it just, it's just dangerous. I mean, and there's so much you stuff you don't have control over, you know, you just don't. My first two race days rained out. So there was one, we only had one day of rolls for my first two years. My third year was the first year that there was good weather. And I was horrified having to have two days of this because you're <laughs> by the end of the first day or whatever day it is, right, is so mentally exhausting. And then you go into like tape review, like it's this full thing. And I remember my going into my third year when we knew there were going to be two days. And I was like, I don't think I can do two days of this. Like I have no preparation mentally or physically to be able to do like two full days of this. <laughs> well, I mean, for many years I had to go like after that, do the concert and go do midway. And I mean, I had such great students and then, then I had staff to do it, but like, it was kind of fun because it got my mind off buggy. It was like, Oh my God, midway is like a breeze. This is, you know, <laughs> there are people like, you know, people who I think, you know, respect us, you know, the three of us, but like <laughs> Andy Bordick, those people, they'd come back and say, Ann, you know, I can't believe you put up with us. Or they'll say things like, I did as an alum and as an older person. And when you, once you become a parent, you realize I'm like, Oh my God, like we're entrusting our child to you. Even the pusher. I mean, I've, those people who face plant on, you know, on, I mean, you know, somebody's child. I mean, Oh my God. Or you miss the push bar. I mean, older alums, you know, will say like, now I know why it's so dangerous or now I see it, you know, so differently. And it's like, Oh, well, what can you say? But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, our buggy is like, you know, Penn State football, you know, it's sort of like this thing that some group of the population, you know, really attaches itself to and then, you know, a subset of them just never let it go. And, you know, some people don't understand, like, well, how, how, how is that possible? Like, what do you, how is that such a part of people's being? And I, I don't have an answer necessarily, like the Toms and the Lou's and the Andy Bordick and people well, did you do buggy when you were an undergrad? No. So I actually started broadcasting as a freshman. Um, so I was sports okay. sports department at WRCT was kind of a mess. Yeah, I knew that. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, somehow first semester freshman year, I ended up as sports director. Snowball from there. But I definitely <laughs> learned a lot um, over time. It is, you know, it was overwhelming just stepping in as a uh, – a broadcaster, right? Because at least like football, basketball, I've watched those my whole life. Um, right. You know, much I assume in the same way with with you all, and to a lesser extent, given you know I didn't really have to know the rules and all those ins and outs. It's just a lot to pick up really quickly. Mm -hmm. And people will correct 
correct you if you're wrong. I think that's right. Like everybody knows. And so if you make a mistake or you do something wrong, like everybody knows inside and out what you've done wrong, what you, you know what I mean? What the rule says. I think as a good advisor, you have to like learn. But this is so and I feel like you learn like, something new every year. I definitely you do. learn something yes. new every year. Ex- oh my God. And you learn, like, honestly, Will, what happened for me when I really had my antenna up was alums were coming to me saying, See, there are organizations that have vats of chemicals. And I said, What are you talking about? Like, this is how naive I was. Why would I know that? You know what I mean? Unless I just didn't know that. And that's really when, you know, before the bad acts, even to this day, the rules say in the truck. You know, we're not naive. You know, people are using chemicals somewhere along the way. And I always worry about that. Like, okay, so is is a big vat of, you know, chemicals sitting in some fraternity that some kid's going to get asphyxiated? And are we responsible for that? And I would get like, my imagination would just go wild. You know what I mean? And I thought, I can't control that. I can't. That's the fraternity advisor's job or somebody else's job. I just, I didn't know what to do with that. I do think it's interesting from all this. It's a very high pressured job. And I think one that, you know, for a lot of the campus may go under the radar. So, you know, it's just fascinating to hear how much kind of you all have to deal with contrasted with the fact that really you don't have a ton of agency, right? It is the students, but but the worry goes on and, you know, race day is high stress. You know, I kind of like what you said earlier, Anne, where a successful race day is one where it happens and there are no accidents. Um, mm-hmm. But on the flip mm-hmm. side. And that is like no pun intended, but if that, were, if that is the case, it, it happens not by accident, truly. No pun intended <laughs> it, because a lot of work went in it. I mean, it, just imagine how fast the buggies are today. If we didn't have helmets, if they weren't wearing harnesses, you know, if they were still allowed two-wheel buggies, all the things we've changed, dropping push bars. I mean, I, I used to say, this is ridiculous. If a dropping push bar spun out and that went around and hit a windshield or whatever, you know, the changes were all to the good. And I've thought about it, like people have come up to me when I was doing it, and even since, like, why don't we just limit it to, you know, four-wheel buggies? And I said, you know, if that ever became what we had to do, people would adjust and we'd still have great buggies. It just they might be ultimately safer. You know, and I've always asked that question before we ever got rid of it. I'd say, then let's just make it the only four wheel buggies, right. you know, two in the front, two in the back. That would be before we ever would get rid of it. And people would adapt. And in 10 years, that if that were the new norm, people would adapt and the best would still win. I, I do think one interesting to go in, thing to go into, right? We, we kind of talked about the stress and right. All race day is high pressure. Uh, not to paraphrase what you all just said, but in some ways it's kind of like get through race day. <laughs> but obviously I imagine, you know, the fact even we've been talking here for almost 90 minutes, whatever, an hour. Um, it seems like you all have become very passionate and knowledgeable and whatnot about buggy. So, you know, sort of from a educator's perspective, what are some of the most rewarding things that you've experienced being involved with this sport? I always say what, like my favorite thing about buggy is that it is one of the very few things on this campus that students do not to get a job, not to get a good grade, not to like increase their professional skills. I mean, it's just for fun. And I think there aren't a lot of outlets like that, that, that students are willingly participating in just to have fun. And the amount of time that is put into it and the amount of passion, even if it's sort of misdirected or I'm on the back end and don't enjoy sort of what that the passion means. It is so unique and it's so exciting to be part of it. 
Um, even, I mean, you know, like you're, we're sort of talking about all of these things that have to happen and nobody knows about, and that's exactly what we should be doing, right? Like that's what we do as advisors and make, is make sure that the path is sort of clear for there to be a good and safe and fun race day. Um, and I think that's the thing is that I enjoy so much about like hanging out at push practices or being out there on the weekends when it's a different atmosphere is just watching people have so much fun in something that is happening in the dark, in the middle of the night on the weekends, in the cold, and just like having pure fun doing it is just a really exciting thing to be a part of, even just a tiny like corner of that. I mean, I, I would say, you know, I, I, I love Carnegie Mellon and like, you know, there's things about it that, you know, you know, or, yeah, there's pressure points because of how hard the school is and all that. But this is so quintessential Carnegie Mellon in terms of like just, you know, bringing engineers together. I mean, I know people who like, didn't even know, I mean, they, they didn't even care about things like buggy or cars or whatever. They just got involved in it because of something. And I just think it's the most unique thing because it draws people in for so many different reasons. You know, it, it, it just is so weird. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, there are people who come and they hear about it and they think they want to do it. And there's people who are mechanical engineers, but there are people who aren't engineers that do it. So that's what's so interesting to me that, that, that you're bringing in different kinds of people who can like use their in-class knowledge out of class and not many things on college campuses can you do that in such a big 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 way that becomes a competitive thing the other thing i've always been struck by and i'm happy about you know when you take booth there's the fraternities and a division the stories and a division and the independence and i love that this is you know the women are separate but it's like it doesn't matter if you're greek non-greek you know you're all in this together so it's like one competition and i think that's pretty pretty interesting you know it's and you know building those relationships with students you know has been what has always kept me doing what i do and like nothing's greater than after it's over you know when you're alone with the executive committee and you're so proud of what they did even if things went a little bit wrong but when it really goes right they know it and they're so happy and you know that you're you're in on that thing you're in on that secret that you are the only person that knows what they had to do to make this thing work so you're sort of in this club that not many people are part of yeah i yeah. definitely echo the relationship i mean and there's nothing else, and there's not like it you know orientation happens at every i mean i'm proud of what i did with orientation but it happens at every college you know in the country this is so unique. It's not like you can call another college. I mean, you can't call another school and say, hey, you know, you're doing buggy also. Can you help me? You know, yeah. I mean, and, and, and how many events are there where you can call an alum like a Tom Wood or the BAA and, and, and get advice from them and support from them and money from them? But it, for me, it's always the relationships. Yeah. And all of us are in, cl in close touch with chairman we had years ago. I mean, all of us, you know, we all know different students that are now adults and mothers and fathers and, you know, we still hear from them. And I mean, there's nothing that's just rewarding. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of race day. And I feel like I don't get enough time, but to be able to see past sweepstakes committee members or past chairmen that I've gotten to know along the way, like, and then seeing them with their families, future pushers and drivers and mechanics, you know, I just, it's really amazing. It is like a, it's like a, a private club. Mm -hmm. you, you go through a lot throughout the year and you build these strong relationships. And sometimes you connect and sometimes you may not connect as well, but there's still that bond. Well, and having the advisors, right? I mean, having like Anne that I could call or Jennifer that I could call and every, no, as much as you're ready to be done advising when you're done, there it never leaves you. And you're, I mean, the second that you can step in to help or answer a question or sit down with somebody, like 
it's it is a unique experience that like Ann said you know there's only a handful of us who have done this and it's not happening at other universities and so to know that you can go back to the other advisors and say like tell me what we did when we hit this situation or how do we make these rule changes or who are the alums that I should contact to talk about whatever to have that institutional knowledge is really important and helpful and I think what has helped keep it around for a hundred years is that there's just this commitment everywhere across the board to making this safe and successful and fun. And that's something I've sort of been asking everyone from every perspective. And it is really amazing. Just, yeah, I think the relationships always kind of rise to the, the top of um, kind of what's, what's mattered and what's been meaningful with this. Um, I, I think I'm getting towards the end of the sets. I have questions I have, I want to get a little bit of reflection just on the fact we're at year 100. But before I do that, not sure if there are any kind of fun stories or anecdotes or race day memories may not have covered here that you felt like you wanted to share or whatever, bring forward um, for this. I feel like I'm constantly having the conversation of what to expect when you're not expecting for race day. I mean, the number of times I've had to troubleshoot a beer truck trying to drive through Mm -hmm. campus or the police haven't shown up and so you don't have anyone to man the barricades or the city approved a Pittsburgh Indian um, Association to have a holy event on Flagstaff and you need to be good partners and try to figure out how you're getting staging and performers and attendees across Fruit Street onto Flagstaff while still having race day. I mean, it's just really, it is kind of funny. Like you have to have a sense of humor to get through some of this. Like it's amazing to me to know we advertise this and even our own staff don't realize sometimes that the roads are closed. And then I think, you know, the hay bale that always happens every year (laughs) on SCAFE that sweepstakes basically has to pay an arm and a leg <laughs> for FMS to take off. And I don't know who does it. I'd like to say it's not someone from the buggy community. It probably is, but like that everyone has access to the hay. Right. I'll never forget. I was eight and a half months pregnant and everyone thought I was going to give birth on the buggy course. And I just remember people seeing me being like, Oh my God, do you need to sit down? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm fine. I just want to make sure that EMS isn't going <laughs> to deliver my baby. <laughs> I'm always stunned by the number of people that I talk to at this institution that have like no idea what buggy is or have never seen it. You know what I mean? Like, and you think about the number of hours that you have put in or that you've seen or you've volunteered, and then you think like you're just blissfully sleeping yeah. through this entire like all of this madness that's going on out there every weekend and on race day. I'm always just stunned that you could have a conversation with someone. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. The, the other thing that you could say maybe, and because Casey said something today about the waivers that get signed, you know, we, we started waivers when we did the rules and all that, but you know, 400 people signed waivers. Is that what you said, Casey? Yeah. Uh, then that's, and that's just drivers, pushers, and typically the chairman. So like whoever has to be on in the back of the truck has to sign a waiver. And so that's over 400 and that's not including the barricaders, the flaggers, the mechanics, the other support, like that's just kind of the people you see, but there's so many people behind the scenes. 
you need that many people to make this thing happen. And the average person just does not know that. So you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Crazy, because we think even about mechanics and stuff like that, that's probably almost 10% of undergrads, if you're at 500, 600 some. And, I, and there's actually quite a bit of grads that participate too. Mm. In eight, I think it was 86. I don't know. This was like a weird one. I think it was 86. This is when we had the accident. The carnival scene was Hollywood, but it was Hollywood because somebody connected to drama brought all these people back. Ted Danson, and this is when Hill Street Blues was on TV. All the people connected to Hill. Do you know what Hill Street Blues is, any of you? Yeah, the I TV do. Show? Well, uh, do you know that? A little bit before my time. Okay. <laughs> so they all came back for this salute to Hollywood. And the Civic Arena, which is now gone, was this big arena that where the Penguins played yeah. and, and they, they would have concerts. So they had a big show there and we bus students and for whatever reason, Jerry Lewis came, he's not an alum. But anyway, all these people were like helping on the race course. And I think Jerry Lewis like, like did the starter gun for the first race. And that was pretty wild. Yeah, none of the alums really care about that, but that was pretty <laughs> unique. Yeah, they and do, like Lenny and Squiggy. If we're you hoping know, to have a famous Vernon, person come back again. <laughs> We kind of like were told by, you know, marketing, you got to have these people help. And I said, they're not going to help too much, like ain't happening. But, um, you know, I think Jerry Lewis did the start. He didn't go to Carnegie Mellon, but he did the starting gun. So Casey and I were talking before, Anne, which you probably remember, we had some battles with the city in um, being able to close down the roads and getting barricades. And then they wanted us to pay. So there was like a price oh. we paid for the barricades. And then in the middle of and the, the meters year, and, the, it, and all the meters. When they put oh yeah! But, on, oh, they, they yeah. They wanted they us to, to be, right. Yeah, right. They pay make us pay for the meters that are offline for the time that they're offline. But they started wanting us to pay per barricade per day, which became, I mean, thousands of dollars a weekend. Which sweepstakes does not have thousands of dollars a weekend to spend to make this event happen. And so we made our own barricades. <laughs> The, I mean, sweepstakes had to. So it became this a lot of times. I think that happens that you go back to the group and say, listen, if we're going to have race day, here's what needs to happen. And so, I mean, I still have my jacket that has paint on it from moving a barricade that had just been painted that morning for rolls to be able to happen on a weekend. Like we're driving around my car, putting these wet barricades in my car <laughs> to get race day off. So it's like that stuff behind the scenes that you just, you like, you, it just has to happen. So figure it out and make it happen because rolls have to happen this weekend. Yeah. And now I'm the barricade expert because the city called me, I think it was last year or two years ago, asking me where I purchased our barricades because they're thinking about changing out their barricades. <laughs> so out of all the people in Pittsburgh, <laughs> they call me. <laughs> and you made your, and you still, yeah, you made the barricades, right? No, we've purchased them. They're reflective. Oh. When I took over advising, we were using, I think probably still the old sweepstakes barricades that they owned. And then I forget, maybe a couple years in, the city felt like they were falling apart. They weren't right enough. Um, so we had to use the city barricades and we didn't have to pay for them. So for a number of years we were using them, but I would have to say that they're still not bright enough because we had cars drive through them as well. Um, and then they again came to us, I think it was a couple years ago, and basically saying that we would have to pay per barricade per day for them. And I'm like, well, we just can't afford that. Can we buy our own? And they said, yes. So I'm like, okay, well, I just want to make sure that you don't come back to us <laughs> to say you need to use city barricades. They're like, no, we're, we're, we're good. You can, 
use your own. So that's why we have the white and orange reflective ones, which we had to spray paint with CMU sweepstakes because CMU was stealing them for other uses across campus. <laughs> we would see it would be in our group me pictures of our barricades <laughs> different places across campus. So we finally <laughs> spray painted them so that way people will be less likely to steal them. <laughs> or borrow. Maybe oh, borrow is the correct term, but and you were talking about the AFIO board. We used to have to pick that up in the morning. So we'd get the, you know, the trucks, the sort of lead and follow, and then you'd have to send somebody to the garage with AFIO to pick up all of the boards and drive them yep. up oh, yeah. the hill to let them get set up. Yep. So, I mean, it's that stuff that like sort of come race day, there's all these things that you got to do to, you know, get all the volunteers in place and get the timer and get the you know, stopwatches and get sort of all the stuff so that races can take off. And mm -hmm. I, I have to say, I love, I think the jumbotrons are one of the very best improvements. I think having BAA and having sort of an organization to be able to take over some of that stuff broadly, looking at what makes that experience better. Mm -hmm. Those jumbotrons are spectacular. It's such a great improvement, I think, to the whole experience and being able to be at the event and sort of see all the aspects of the race. It's pretty incredible. I don't know, just the amount of minor little details that have to go into all of it. I think maybe shift the focus to year 100. Lots of kind of exciting stuff coming up with that, but not sure if kind of within that topic you have any thoughts just reflecting on the fact it's been around 100 years, what, what the future might look like, any significance that, that this year means to, to the three of you. I mean, I would say just in kind of talking about this particular year, it's been amazing to see all of the people across campus that want to get involved in celebrating Buggy. It's been crazy to manage. It's been a little bit like herding cat. We have 3D printed buggies. We have a VR experience that is being created. We have Hunt Library that is putting together an exhibit to kind of explore the history of Buggy. You know, there's people making pins. I don't know. It's in marketing and communications coming together and, and helping us, you know, figure out merchandise in the bookstore. And the bookstore is selling that for us. Like, I never thought that we would be able to get buggy merchandise you know in the bookstore and so it's just been I think really kind of awe inspiring to see the amount of people that really want to make this a special experience we have faculty and staff that are really excited to create exhibition teams which like I'm excited for but not excited <laughs> for but um it's crazy the amount of people that are like yes I want a buggy experience too I think what might happen is maybe more people will get excited about buggy after this year because because so there'll be a huge kind of dedicated mural across from the scotch and soda um memorial in the cohen center that should be pretty cool i mean and then you know alumni relations to their credit you know i mean they do carnival no matter what but we've really worked with them hard to you know have in their big ten have it be a bit of, a little bit bigger at their expense because we don't have a lot of money um but there'll be all kind of buggy related activities in there that's going to make it really exciting to see people hopefully come back from the 60s all the way up to like 2019 to come back and celebrate Buggy. and CMU Buggy has just done a phenomenal job, you know, the Buggy mm -hmm. Alumni Association with their social media posts in, you know, kind of 
yep. showing buggy throughout the years. And it's so incredible yeah. to look through those photos to see where buggy started and then just how it has transitioned through the years. And I can't believe that this has been in existence for a hundred years. Like it's just it's hard to wrap your head around. And then thinking about the future, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it'd be great to have more teams. I think what the struggle has been in the last, and probably always has been, is just the fact that it is such a commitment mm -hmm. and you have to be dedicated. I think when new teams start, you know, it's a struggle. Like you have to have the buy-in and support from your entire organization. Yeah. And I think it's hard, especially for our Greek teams. And I guess, you know, the same goes for some of our independent teams. Like if you're also doing Greek sing and booth, that's all hitting in spring semester. And I've definitely seen the organization really split up. There are people that do buggy. There are people that do booth. There's people that do Greek sing and they don't help each other out. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to me that Buggy then gets kind of the short stick where it's not as many people because again, it's every weekend and you're waking up at four o'clock in the morning. I mean, this is college. Like you want to enjoy your weekends <laughs> and there are people, there are people showing up at 4am and then eventually go back to bed. But like, my goodness to do that for an entire year, let alone maybe your entire college career, you know, is just unbelievable. And I think that the teams are struggling. So I think the really hard thing is, you know, when a fraternity is like no longer on campus for whatever reason, mm -hmm. it's hard to believe like Theta Xi, Phi Cap, DTD, so many of these buggy organizations back in the day were all competitive. And if any of them, even Pike, it took them a while to get back. I mean, they're back pretty strong, but it's just so expensive and, and the manpower. That's what's hard. I mean, that's what makes it hard if you lose an organization. But what I'm most amazed at about, about Buggy, Casey, and you, you see this, are the organizations that aren't going to ever win. They just can't. And they're going to come close, and they still are out there giving it their best. And it, I think it's because it becomes a very social thing for them, and they'd never let it go. But that's pretty amazing to me. You know, is the CIA ever going to, like, get to be in the top Well, they're three? becoming more and more competitive. Yeah. So. Well, then that's good. Yeah. But I think, you know, some organizations are still willing to give it their all um, when they, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm amazed at that. I think that's pretty cool. Well, I think we're probably going to also see more autonomous buggies. I mean, we mm -hmm. have two, you know, organizations right now with Robo Buggy and Atlas. Like I see that potentially progressing. Like if we're thinking about like, where is Buggy going? Um, I could see, you know, potentially having almost a competitive part just being the autonomous buggies well the other thing i've wanted for years is like a woman's team which means they built the buggy because now we don't really have that they would be in their own category correct i mean think about it like we don't have any women that have started a buggy from scratch and that was their you know they've been they yeah we did yeah kappa kappa gamma worked for two years um, okay. They were, yeah, they were a full female team and built their buggies. I, someone donated. Now I can't remember who it was. Donated their starter, but they built. They ended up with two buggies and rolled and competed. Um, but it's a struggle, especially I think in those organizations, it was a struggle to know what to do. And I think that, like, that's the. I don't know. That's one of the beauties of the sweepstakes as a whole is that there are so many organizations that want to see other teams succeed. And so they offer buggies, they offer advice, they sit down and talk to people. Yep. So I think, you know, like this isn't just something that somebody knows how to do, you know, like 
you have to, I don't know, there has to be sort of handholding and advice given and people willing to sort of open up their secrets or their rooms or their buggies to show, you know, like sort of how it works to be able to have more teams and more competition and more involvement. This year for our new teams, there was, you know, a sweepstakes um, member that was assigned to a team. There was a BAA mentor assigned to the team. They're either coming back and so they're utilizing one of their older buggies or they got a loaner buggy. Um, and then, I mean, I know Delta Gamma is new this year. They have a starter buggy and they're hoping to build next year. So, I mean, they oh, are good. really excited. They're raising money um, to support that build. So, you know, they're definitely a team to to watch in the future as a, as a new group. I mean, the last team to, um, I feel like, be new and, and do well was Apex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we haven't ever had like a graduate student buggy. They they're on teams, but you know they they would come see me every couple of years, thinking they'd want to do it, and then they realize the manpower, woman power, people power. Their advisor would probably you know cut them loose. I mean, it's like they couldn't do it. But no one ever came to me and said, "Hey, we had this thing at my school, sort of just like buggy, and I want to do it." it never happened. You know what I mean? No. It's not like people would come to me and say, you know. I, I ballroom dance it, you know, my school, do you have ballroom dance? Yep, there's, yep, sure we do. Yep, we have ballroom dance. <laughs> we have concerts. <laughs> we, have, we have, you know, dance teams, acapella, but nobody ever comes and says, I did this thing called buggy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think it's yeah. so exciting that, I mean, there aren't a lot of traditions anywhere, sort of at any institution that lasts this long that have also been through so many changes, you know, like Casey was talking about, I mean, you look at sort of the evolution of buggy and where it started and what they look like. And, you know, people are riding tricycles and the pit stops and the, you know, the, we sort of dance tubs, right? Exactly. Like <laughs> just the, what the event was and how much it shifted and sort of the level of streamlining and competition and the strive for that time. I just think is impressive that it's been through all of those changes and potentially along the lines, I mean, Ian, you saw most of it, right? The, the sort of risk in the areas where at any point somebody should have said like, yeah, we're done with this. You know, like, this is yeah. just madness. People know this. This was like before my time, a boy in a fraternity, a, a young man was practicing and went into the curb and is paralyzed because of a um, buggy, not, not during the races, not during free rolls. They were just like goofing around and it was, but, you know, shows you how dangerous it was right. or it is, you know, anybody hits their head doing sure. anything, you know, even wearing a helmet playing football. But I just think to be a tiny little piece of that, it's a really different way to connect you as a staff member to this institution around something that everybody can't talk about, you know, like everybody doesn't have that experience. Yeah. And so the people that have had that experience is there's just this camaraderie, whether you're competitive or not, whether you sort of hate whatever that other organization is or not, overarching, there's this, I don't know, there's this camaraderie around this really unique and special thing that we have here. I think that, that there's like sort of this, you know, elitism that with the three of us feel because like nobody knows what we know, you know, it really is, it's just not like anything else. And it's not like advising any other clever organization, you know, you could put on you know, eight concerts a year with AB and advise them, uh, uh nothing like this. I mean, because of the inherent danger, plus, you know, you want to preserve this so that nothing happens to affect the fact that uh, maybe we shouldn't do this. Or I mean, Casey, to her credit, 
has had a lot more scrutiny from the university. Like where we've come with the environmental safety thing is fabulous. That just those people weren't around when I was here. There was just a fire marshal who was real helpful. Those people have come down on our side, but they could easily be going to the president saying, you know, this thing, you know, we need to like rework this. Something's not right about this. Yeah. I mean, I think that was a hard thing for me in my early years. A lot of it I knew didn't make sense. And it was just such a huge thing for me to, you know, crack. And I thought, and again, I didn't have a lot of people on my side. You know what I mean? It wasn't like people above me or my boss, any of them. It was like, we do this thing, just go advise it. Like there was, there's no manual. There's nothing. It's not like you could go get your degree in, you know, in student activities and in a competency-based program. Like there's no contracts that you're reading. This thing, part of it is very intuitive. I mean, I think to be pretty successful at being a good advisor to buggy, you got to be a little bit neurotic. Because you can't have an attitude. You've got to care a lot about things that are important. And I think um, the three of us kind of share that neuroses about it. Echoing, like, there's not a manual. I mean, there are, like, uh, the obvious logistics. But, again, like, I've just learned so much based upon experiencing it every single year that it would be so hard to impart a lot of that. Like, you just have to experience it and learn what works what doesn't work you know who you need to talk to who you need to make sure you build relationships with I mean what was hard for me was you know I just had so many alums that I hardly knew and then I built great relationships they were breathing and whispering in my ear like bad stuff and I thought I didn't know what to do with it it was just too much and then I just sort of stepped back and thought I'm gonna use these people to help me but these people knew a lot more than I did Students didn't like it at the time. That was very hard for me because I just knew what they were telling me was true and I didn't know what to do about it. I was going to say on the flip side of that, like definitely have valued the advice and letting us know when things aren't going well. But it's like also the back in my day, we did it this way and it's hard to know, well, is that the right way or is that just yeah. what you're used to and we've improved it and you just don't understand the why or we're being told to do it this way. And so I feel like that's been a struggle over the years is trying to balance, well, this is how we did it. Well, and trying to yeah. trying to sort of discern who is speaking out of an interest as sweepstakes as a whole and who is speaking out of a particular organization's interest. Being new and having to get your feet wet and trying to figure out sort of all of the moving parts and then these voices sort of that are bringing concerns to you and trying to like mm. sort of what's your, what's the game here to know, like, are you genu genuinely interested sort of across the board in the safety and security and like the fun of what this is, or is this information coming to me because this is going to better one organization's chance over another? I mean, I think for me, something rewarding was, you know, like, for the people like films, Tom Selmsley and like um, the Tom and Estes and those people who were here during like the late 80s, 90s to have perspective and like be grateful. They're grateful that we made the changes that we made because they're so invested in this thing that I think they felt like if we didn't make the changes that we had to make and it was hard, then Buggy might not be here right now. Yeah, I mean, when those individuals tell me it was a good race day, Right. That makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good year. I'm like, thank you. That feels good. You learned a lot, Will, right? Yeah. No, I've uh, I've been having a great time with all these. It's to to the point you all say about the insane passion and dedication or whatever the fact so many people are willing to sit down for 
two hours and just talk so you know effortlessly and passionately about this it's it's pretty fascinating and i think this is going to be a pretty cool episode because i don't think a lot of people necessarily think about the staff side and and i I think within that right there's a lot of stuff yeah that me being a little more removed from like a team but kind of on the admin side had no no idea about it so i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of interesting stuff with this yeah i can't tell you the amount of times people have asked me oh you so you just like sit there and watch race day right like you show up on friday and saturday Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, so we just like have that. to show up with some donuts and make sure the trucks are there. And then we're <laughs> <dead>. <laughs> well, and you know, I honestly, you know, I, I say this to be a good advisor, you, you know, you have to be invested and you have to be a good listener and then not be afraid to like make changes or suggest, but like there have been years when buggy was run by, it wasn't any of the three of us and it wasn't Jennifer. And it was, it just wasn't good because it was like the advisor in name only. And like, honestly, this job just can't go to somebody who happens to be in student activities, but, and that becomes their job because it's just, it's just not like advising anything else. It really isn't. The other thing that was always hard for me, if people higher up were telling me what to do, you know, I had to be respectful, but I'm thinking, what the, what the hell do they know? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, walk in my shoes. You know what I mean? Like, right. and again, it, honestly, because no one's done this. I mean, you know, there, I had bosses that like never did buggy they don't get it. I mean, no. so you're sort of, you're very lonely in that. It, it's just, yes. you're, I could, I felt very lonely. Carnival, I didn't feel lonely. Activities board. I mean, you know, when I was doing activities board, our sound person or tech kid quit and I called Pitt and, you know, the director of student activities said, Tom, get your tech kid up here. And he ran the show for us. I could do that. There's no one, any of us could call for buggy, not one no. person. Except for the three of us, Anne, right? Like you knew, like I knew I could call Anne and Anne would show up or help me or whatever needed to happen. Cause you just drop everything and you say like, what do you need? Or yeah. Or people would say, boy, what a cool thing you got to advise buggy. And I, right. I, I kind of like bug me. It was like, I, I can't explain it. I think I, my sense was people just, <laughs> just they didn't know what went into it. Yeah. And right. anything else I did, orientation, yeah, they knew it was a good thing, and I worked hard. Uh, not like the same thing. I think it was because we were we were so invisible, but yeah. we were so present at the same time. Like I, even though I wasn't there for everything, like honestly, I was always thinking about it, and it just took up a lot of my energy. I used to say, and I would come down on the weekends one to watch the push practices and to sort of get to know who the teams are and who the people are. But two, like I didn't want to call at 615 in the morning that somebody was going to the hospital. So if that was happening, I wanted to be down here and see it. Do you know what I mean? Like I would have much rather, I wanted to be here to be able to be present and get to the hospital versus like getting up that phone call in the middle of the night, you know? I think it would be interesting. We don't have anybody can talk to, but like, if a male was their advisor, like if it's this maternal thing or this like, you know, female thing, you know, taking care of its cubs, but you know, it's a really interesting thing. You know, the three of us sort of, you know, I don't want to take away from some man not being able to do it, but it really is interesting. Yeah. You, you kind of get so protective. Yeah. I think ironically, I mean, in our office, it's just, it, you know, I've been here, you know, advising since, you know, working with you in 2007. I mean, my counterpart who's advised, you know, buggy happens, just has happened to be a man and they've, when that person's left, you know, another person has come. So I mean, who knows if I ever leave, what will happen? (laughs) Or get tired of it. Or get tired of it. I don't know if I would be allowed to stick now, right? To be honest, Will, after I became a mom, I I got like more crazy about it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm like, 
these are some of these children, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's just so interesting. It's just so, and, and it, you know, you have a little 95 pound girl in this crazy thing that's going 25 miles an hour. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and there are people in the community who know enough about it and they think we're, the university's nuts for doing this. I mean, there's a lot of naysayers. Oh, I, I will never forget. I did a presentation at another university about advising buggy and kind of what goes into it in supporting it being student run and student driven. I showed them a clip, you know, I went through the costs of like what sweepstakes has to, I mean, everybody, everybody's jaws were just dropped and they're like around the room or, you know, someone from their police department, mm -hmm. someone from student activities, some, somebody from alumni, you know, and they were just, amazed that this happened and they were asking well isn't this dangerous <laughs> and I said yes and they're like well have there been any accidents and I said yes and I'm like it still continues and I'm like yes <laughs> so I mean yeah there I was just like there was silence <laughs> after I presented like I thought people would be like oh wow this is really cool <laughs> and really great and I just had people staring at me it was crickets <laughs> Well, that's why when RPI called me, I like said, no, you don't want to do this. I, I didn't hang up on him, but I said, <laughs> you know, if you want to do soapbox derby, if you want to do something, if you own the streets, I mean, all these things that, you know, year after year we have to do, it's like, and there could be a new police chief stuff. Oh my God, to get permits. You know, once you do it, you think it's easy. Uh-uh. People like forget, they change their mind. I've had to go down in person because they didn't act on it fast enough. I mean, we assume like our students assume also like, everybody loves buggy this they just give us all this because we're Carnegie Mellon and buggy has to happen and it's like no we have to go through a lot of red tape to do this you know even working with FIPS we used to go down there every year and meet with FIPS to make sure they were happy and we were happy and they weren't having their plant sale they all the plant sale oh, when it yeah. happens on the same weekend as buggy you're like no <laughs> well there's yeah it's just a lot of relationships that you know you they you need to have everybody on your side to be able to have the event happen. So you've got you've got to make friends in all of these places and try to explain the best you can what it is that we do and sort of we need to get everybody on board to to be able to allow it to happen year after year. I think we could do a better job and again, there are a lot of faculty staff who just don't care about it. You know what I mean? It sort of blows my mind or they're put off that when Casey puts her memo out in due time don't access the streets on these days for pushback. And people are mad. Like the mothers that drop their kids off at the child children's school who aren't even connected to Carnegie Mellon other than they go to this little children's school. It's like, there are a lot of people who, you know, so it's like, how do you build more positive relationships to get more people mm -hmm. excited about it? And it's like, yeah, I'm surprised at the number of faculty staff that are sort of like bothered, like we're putting them out, you know, for this one important thing in a university that is so highly stressful. And is such a great release of you know people's talents and for the students who aren't involved in it to come watch and alumni to come back or the woman that would complain i knew roads were closed but i went down the road anyway but there wasn't a sign you really need to have a sign even though i knew the road was closed <laughs> and yeah. she went down there so that is why we have signs at our outer barricades which is the right thing to do but it was just ironic because she's like, I knew the road was closed, but I went anyway. Or sometimes the same faculty would call me year after year. Like they just had to be, make complaints. Like, you know what, then, then don't come to work that week, take off. I don't know. Or like, what are you going to say? You know, but yeah, I would say moving forward, if like more of the campus could be aware of it, 
And I mean, that's a hard thing to do, you know, but, but, but we could probably do a better job of that. I don't know. If they don't know it's Buggy 100 this year, they don't I care. don't know yeah, what they don't care. they're doing for yeah. No, I know. I know. I just don't think the average person knows how important this is to those people involved or what it takes yeah. to be involved. That's, that, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I don't know. There's part of me that's just like, as long as my students know and had a good experience and they felt supported, I mean, yeah, it'd be great to have others know about it, but well, it just, it's, it sort of surprises me. We're a small campus, you know what I mean? And like, I think it is part of what and who Carnegie Mellon is. We've got a lot of people whose kids are, their heads are in the books and the faculty staff are, you know, in the research and, you know, they just come and go. And I'm always surprised, like when I see people walking down Porter Baker Hall, going into the side door and they're not there watching Buggy, they're going into their office. Well, come out right. and watch Buggy, you know? Right. Hey, Ann, is it worth, mentioning um the memorial for jennifer jennifer church who was dean of students from well she was at carnegie mellon from 95 to 2008 and then she was still with us for till 2010 moved on to arizona and she passed away well anyway she was like the fourth advisor that should be on this call who did who you know did buggy i trained her she trained roshan and then roshan left and i took it back and then um casey took over but jennifer there's going to be a memorial service or a memorial like to, to, to talk about celebrate her life on Sunday of carnival. But I'll never forget. I was with Jennifer and some kid decided to like do the unthinkable, like take his pants down and press it against the car window when Jennifer and I passed by and we didn't know what to do. We just, we, didn't, we just, we just had to keep going. We couldn't, we, it was like Casey said, you know what? We got to laugh. It was just too much. It was like just a, a drunk alum in his car. Oh my God. Just remember, yeah, Jennifer so said to me, here's the thing. It's going to rain. They're all going to want to get in their cars and drive in circles around the course to dry the course. And she's like, here's the thing. It's not going to work and you can't let it happen. And I was like, okay, but you know, going into it. And then literally that's what happened. Cause it, as I said, my first two years, it rained at least one of the days and you could see them. They're like, we're going to go get our cars. I'm like, we're not driving cars on the course. Or you have an alum coming right. up, you know? Maybe if you got into cars. Exactly. We used to drive cars on the course all the time to drive it. Yeah. Unfortunately, they did that when I was in charge. They did it because I they probably convinced <laughs> me that, that they could drive a course, which they couldn't. Yeah. They'll do stupid things. Yeah. yeah. It's so fun. But, you know, nobody wants it to be rained out. That's the worst. That's why I download 12 weather apps on my right. phone <laughs> and look at it. <laughs> Every hour for the two weeks leading up to race day. I never paid better attention to the weather. Like, how is it going to snow? Is it going to be too cold? That, and I learned a lot about asphalt the year that I advised. Because I would just <laughs> oh get these God. calls or notes from the committee or from others that were like, there used to be a pothole at Hill 2. It's gone now. You'd be like, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know anything about this. But we, like, I'd get receipts for asphalt or concrete to reimburse yeah. people for doing our own patching. Well, I get questions about, like, so how do we go about painting the lines? Right. And, like, <laughs> honestly, I don't know. I just know it happens sometime, probably in the 2, 3 a.m. <laughs> the one year it happened at 9 p.m. on Move On. Oh. And paint got splattered on cars. I'm like, no, not at 9 p.m. when people can see you. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to magically happen. 
there was one race here and it was so hot and it was fabulous, gorgeous. And at the top of Hill One, like water started coming out from like a spring. It just started like a, a fountain just started pouring out from underground. Don't know how, why it, it wasn't raining, but the water was coming from that damn like something underwater under the ground if it could happen it would happen you know it's like <laughs> of all days yeah. why did it have to happen today dogs on the course i remember a, a father called me we had the roads closed and he was trying to go through the park as his wife was like in labor and he wanted to get to like the hospital the short way and they wouldn't let him through and he like raised holy hell and i would tell the kids you know what if somebody's like making you crazy or something really bad or you think they're going to pull a gun or something, but this man, I don't, I don't know if he got through or not, but he let me know that whatever happened, whatever, the wife had the baby in the hospital, not on the buggy course, but he was so <laughs> mad at our students. Like, Oh my God. And it makes sense. I mean, we're a main throughway. People come through that, that part of town yeah. to go to all kinds of things. And I think what's hard is like on Friday, it's a, it's a, it's a work day, right? People are commuting in and don't understand why they can't cut across. And oh, the calls that are on my voicemail about how I've made people late to work. Well, yeah. we block all the entrances. So you go to one and then you think, oh, I can go around the other way. And then you drive around the other way and you can't get to that one. And then you try to drive around and can't get to the other one. So they're hopping mad by the time we get the call. <laughs> we, one year we, we had a thing where there was miscommunication the race was sort of over, but there might have been a re-roll, and it was like the course like opened up without it officially being told to open up, and that can easily happen. And like it was done, it was done, and so whoever yeah. didn't get the re-roll, I mean, it was one of those things where no one got hurt. That's all I cared about. But like now in the early days, like we didn't have follow and lead car, we had like a cop on a motorcycle. <laughs> on <race day. laughs> That's fantastic. And I said, why don't we get a follow truck and a lead truck? And yeah, I think we had like you know crazy you know, pickups from people's farms or something. I mean, they were bad. <laughs> just, you know, morphed into like more sophisticated things. So that's what's fun to think about what will be like in the next couple of years or, yeah. you know, yeah, because nobody would have predicted we'd be where we are now. You know, I, I would never imagine a Megatron. Yeah, well, Jumbotron's definitely changed the event. We started oh, with one and then we went to two and then we could never look back. <laughs> Right. It eliminates some of the running. You know how like there used to be this mass exodus from oh the top of hill two down the hill down to the chute. And now you can see all of that from, you know, from up at the top and from the finish line. You can watch the whole race, which is pretty exciting. It's like my first practice and that I went to visit. Everyone was walking around with red cups. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's <laughs> a change. <laughs> Yeah, I, there are just so many great stories. Like one year, um, I, I, Casey, you and I, we had to go over to the lawn, the, the gym lawn. Oh, my God, because kids were putting up, the SDC had a tent there. Oh, my God. And they were cooking in there. It was like, they set up like house there. And then they weren't letting buggy anybody but buggy people in. And then students were mad who paid the SDC dues, five bucks or whatever they paid, that they couldn't go in and get the free food that SDC was doing. And it was just buggy people. So, like, we were called... We were, I was like called by the SDC normal you know, kid who didn't do buggy that was mad. And then the gym people were mad because, you know, their lawn had this tent on it. It's like, like I said, and Tepper, like when Tepper used to be in, in the building where you sit in front of Will, all the, all the Monday morning phone calls because the kids yeah. like wrecked Tepper lobby. They went in there to keep warm. They moved the furniture around. It was like, oh my God, what can we do to make you people understand? Like right. put the stuff back. Right. Like, so that was like, <laughs> 
And you just feel bad for the sweepstakes here because how much responsibility do they have to be in charge of? Like, you know, the, the organizations have to accept responsibility for stuff. Or when I get called from, by one of the buggy students because they just got pulled over by CMU police because they have a Tepper chair in the back of their pickup truck, which they were on their way to return, but they were using it for like a barricader or flagger <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> so then I had to explain to the police officer that they really weren't stealing it. <laughs> Just using it, borrowing, borrowing it. And then yell at the students for doing what they did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can't, yeah, you can't be doing this. Like we'll buy you chairs. Well, when we used to have buggy design in Skibo gym and I, when the university center opened in 96, I said, guys, why don't you bring it over to the university center gym? And you would have thought like I was like ruining what they were doing. And I said, well, just try it. And it made, of course it would make sense because why not? And of course, they did it there for years. And now you're moving it for the first time out of UC, to the UC over to Simmons, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm always impressed with these. Sometimes I'm like, you know, we're putting two hours on the calendar. Yeah. And yeah, I, we've never had trouble filling it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, we could talk. We could talk for ages. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you so much for listening and uh, make sure to thank an advisor next time you see them. As always, really appreciate you tuning in. Make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you have feedback, you can email me or hop in the CMU buggy discord on the podcast channel. Always looking for ways we can improve this or new topics you'd like to hear as uh, we're thinking we're going to keep this train rolling for a while. So plenty more episodes yet to come. Uh, once again, I want to thank all our guests and Casey and Roshan, as well as the Buggy Alumni Association for everything they do to help put this together, especially Rachel Schmidt for managing all of the logistics and doing a lot of the heavy lifting to help get this off the ground. Uh, also need to credit the intro music is from the free music archive. The song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes. Uh, I'm Will Weiner. I was your host. Thank you so much for joining and we will see you next time on Shoot the Shit.